Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And as you do so, just one uh, a correction to the announcement that was made. After consultations uh, uh, with the elders and I think the proposed speaker, we were scheduled to have a seminar this coming Saturday, but uh, we, we've postponed it to a date that will advise, and this is due to the non-availability of the proposed speakers. By the time the deacon was uh, coming up here, we had not yet concluded whether the seminar will be taking place. So if we've inconvenienced you in any way, you are Christians and you'll forgive us. Well, at least the elders would like to sincerely uh, ask that you forgive for the inconveniences caused. Maybe you had scheduled uh, to be at church this coming Saturday, but please, again, when we advise the date, we would ask that you avail yourself to these important seminars that we've been dealing with uh, when we began. So a date will soon be announced once we agree on the availability of the proposed speakers. Genesis chapter 3, I will begin reading from verse 14 to the end of that particular portion of scripture, and I believe it's a familiar passage of scripture. Genesis 3, and the Bible reads from verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face is, you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. 
last Lord's Day, we concluded chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Whenever I'm preaching, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And having concluded chapter 12, we will take a short break. And then the Lord willing, in a few weeks' time, we will get to chapter 12, rather to the book of John, and pick it up from chapter 13 to the end of that book. And this morning, uh, we begin a new series of entitled, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And this is in preparation for Easter, which comes next month. And as we prepare our hearts for Easter, I would like us to go through some portions of the scriptures that helps us to simply appreciate the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But also as a church, we do have Easter evangelistic activities. And uh, as, as we prepare our hearts to share God's word during this period, a season in which the world over has taken as a season of holidays or taking rest from all kinds of labors, it would be good for us to really focus uh, our attention on what's the essence of Easter. Why Easter? Why do we celebrate Easter? And what's the significance and the uh, importance, as it were, of Easter? And really the goal of this series is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to edify ourselves and to remind ourselves that the world in which we live in is in dire need of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that can change hearts of stones. Not good morals, not good principles, but the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we will be reminding ourselves Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that only the gospel can change the hearts of stone. And the context of our passage, which I believe it's, it's a well-known passage, is that God created man in his image. He created them male and female. And he created man in in. in, in perfect innocence, as it were, and placed him in a perfect environment. God gave Adam dominion over the livestock that God has created, in fact, over all of God's creation. And God presented Adam with a perfect companion in the name of Eve. And they lived a peaceful existence, free from pain, disease, death, sorrow. And all their needs were met by the Almighty God. And they enjoyed unbroken fellowship with the living God. And God gave them a freedom to eat from any tree in the garden but one, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God warned Adam that in the day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. We don't know how long they were in the Garden of Eden. 
before this perfect world was disturbed by the entrance of sin. Eve, confronted by the serpent, as we read through the scriptures, the serpent, the devil was using the serpent. He confront, Eve is confronted. And the serpent asks Eve what God really said. And the serpent says, no, God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of good and knowledge because the day you eat of it, you will be like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him. Eve succumbs to the temptation, eats of the fruit, and he gives it to his husband, to her husband rather, Adam, who eats of it. And immediately, Adam eats of the fruit. Immediately, they realize there's something that has gone wrong. They are no longer innocent, no longer pure. And they've sinned against God. And immediately they realized that they were naked. And they began to try and put uh, fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And in the midst of all this drama, all this tragedy, God walks into the garden to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And they hide from God. And as God calls out to them, God knew where they were. He's all-knowing. But he wanted to extract a confession from Adam and Eve. And when God calls out to them, the blame game begins. Adam blames Eve and God for what has happened. Eve blames the serpent for what had happened. But in the midst of this calamity, there is a ray of hope. There is a speck of hope. And that speck of hope shines out of darkness like a great beam, like a great beacon announcing God's amazing grace. And that's in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his, his heel. And in that verse you see God's announcement of his amazing grace. And this is often referred to as the proto-evangelium which is the Latin word for first gospel. And it is here that God says the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. It is through the seed of the woman that salvation and deliverance will come to the world. It is through the seed of the woman that will reverse the case that has been brought about by the sin of Adam and Eve. And we see that this is the first promise of God. What will be fulfilled on the cross when the Lamb of God dies to give up his life to save the world from sin. 
And in this verse, we are given the very first promise in the word of God regarding the coming Messiah. And this morning, we'll be looking at what I'm calling, Behold, the Lamb of God promised. The Lamb of God promised. And the first thing I'd like to draw your attention uh, is to the personality of the Lamb of God promised. The personality of the Lamb of God promised, or the character of the Lamb of God promised. And again, verse 15. And the second part, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Other versions will say, it's, I'll put enmity between the seed of the woman. And the first thing we see there is that the one who was to deliver the human race from sin will be the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman. And already from that statement, we see the uniqueness in the origin of this seed of the woman. He was to be the seed of the woman. And this is an extraordinary statement because by God's very design, the seed is provided by the male members of every species. But this statement is extraordinary because we are told that it will be the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman who will produce an offspring, or rather the woman who produce an offspring without the aid of the man. And this verse gives us this, this nut of a great truth that will be fully developed throughout redemptive history as God unfolds his redemptive plan. And this verse obviously... With the benefit of the scriptures complete, we can read back and forth and see that it was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of the virgin. But when God makes this promise, Adam did not fully understand it. Eve did not fully understand it. Even the devil did not fully understand this. And this is very important for us to grasp. Because the Bible is very clear that man born of a woman, man born through the union of a man and a woman, is by the very nature born a sinner. But here we are told that it will be the seed of the woman without the union of the man and the woman. The woman will give birth to a seed and that seed will be the saviour of the world. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is different from all births. It's unique. And this shows us the uniqueness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his source. He was without sin. He knew no sin and he did not sin and therefore he qualified to be the savior of the world to die for our sins. His birth was extraordinary. 
because he is and he was God. But also we see that not only is he, his personality unique in its beginning or in its source, we also see that his, he was unique in his calling. The birth of this, this seed of the woman, this offspring, was unique in his calling. We are told that the, the, the Lamb of God, the coming seed of the woman, was, to, was coming into this world to do battle with evil. And that's why we see there that he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Already from the onset there, we clearly see that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world he was not coming into this world to show men and women a better way to live their lives. He was not coming into this world to improve their environment. He was not coming into this world to improve their social standing or to make us rich. He was coming into this world determined to defeat evil. And there the Lord says, He will bruise your head. A picture being given to us of the damage, complete damage, that the seed of the woman will do to the seed of the serpent. And already God determines and says to us what the purpose of his son was going to be in this world. This was his sole mission. His sole purpose. He was coming to deliver the human race from sin into which it had fallen. He was coming to defeat evil once and for all. He was coming to do that which Adam and Eve could not do for themselves. He was coming to atone for their sins and to conquer evil. And you see that this promised Lamb of God, he has a unique beginning and he has a unique calling. Right from Genesis 3, God says this is what he's coming to do. But secondly, the purpose of the promised lamb. What was the purpose? Again, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This verse highlights the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. God says, I will put enmity between you and the serpent, between your offspring and our offspring. And already the word enmity there gives us this enmity, enmity gives us the idea that there was hatred 
between the offspring of the serpent and of the woman. That's what we get in there. This, there's a, this idea of hatred. And this hatred runs far deeper than that of human beings' hatred for snakes. Because when you read commentary, and people say, no, that's why human beings hate snakes, right from Genesis chapter 3. But this is far deeper than that. It refers to the hatred that resides within the heart of the evil one. The hatred that resides within the heart of Satan. That hatred that caused Satan to attack Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden so that they could sin against God. The hatred that caused him to tempt Eve. The hatred that desires nothing but an overflow and a complete takeover of God and his kingdom. It is a hatred that demands the death of God and the installation of Satan as God. It's a hatred that cannot exist together. And this is the battle that was raging in the Garden of Eden. It is a battle between good and evil. And evil trying to overthrow good and trying to install itself as the God of the universe, the God of the created world. It's a hatred that had less to do with mankind but more to do with God and Satan. It's a hatred to wage war against the almighty God. But God says the one who's going to come is a warrior, one who's going to conquer the evil one. This hatred will be conquered, and the evil one will be defeated. From the onset, his purpose was determined to wage warfare with a determined enemy, and he will take up the fight that Adam and Eve felt. He would take up the fight that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. He would do battle with the evil one. And we see that from the moment this prophecy was given in, in Genesis 3 up to when Jesus died and rose from the dead the evil one Satan has tried everything in his power to stop the seed of the woman. Right in Genesis 3, he worked through Cain. 
And he killed Abel. And John tells us that Cain was of the, the seed of the evil one. But he did, Satan did not prevail. He sought to, to corrupt the, 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 the seed bloodline through evil marriages in Genesis 6. But he still failed. He tried to kill the people of God in Egypt. When you read Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, he failed. He tried to bring about the destruction by leading the united kingdom of God, the united nation of Israel, into gross idolatry. He felt. And when Jesus was born, and we read in Matthew chapter 2, Satan tried to destroy him as an infant by killing all male-born babies below the age of two, and he failed. He tried to lead the Son of God into sin by asking him, by tempting him in Matthew chapter 4. He failed. He tried to make Jesus to have the crown without the cross, when you read in John 6, and he failed. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he tried to sweat Christ to, 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 to abort the mission of God, and he failed. And on the cross, when all seemed lost, and Satan thought finally he has won, and the Son of God, the promised warrior, defender of good, the one who was going to defeat evil. And as he hung helplessly on the cross, and the world looked at, thinking all is lost, his disciples thought all is gone, and Satan was rejoicing. On the third day, Christ arose and conquered death. Or to use the words of the hymn writer, and then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin cast has lost it's thin on me. Why? The promised Lamb of God had the purpose, and this purpose was not going to fail. Because God Himself is the one who made this promise, and in eternity past, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sat and agreed to redeem a man from, the, from their sins. And God did everything to ensure that his 
prophecy is fulfilled and there was no way was going to fail. He knows all things. He planned all things. And what we see here, that the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ was fulfilled when Christ died on the cross. He came to accomplish salvation and now is in heaven interceding for those who are his. This is why Christ came. To defeat that determined enemy, the one who has tried from Genesis 3 to overthrow the government of God. And he has failed and continues to fail, and the time is coming when he will be ushered into the lake of fire together with his offspring. This was the purpose of the promised. Lamb of God. And as I look at you this morning, have you come to know the power of God in salvation given to us in Christ Jesus? Do you know what it means for Christ to take residence in you? To conquer that stubborn heart of yours and to bring it to the subjection and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised warrior, the Lamb of God. Have you experienced that? Or for you, it's it doesn't matter. It's life as usual. And God promised that there is this hatred, strong hatred between the offspring of the woman and of the serpent. You belong to one of the two camps. And there's no middle ground. Then in the third place, I'd like us to see the picture of the promised lamb. The picture or the portrait of the promised lamb. And this is picked in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. In this verse, we are given a picture of the promised Lamb of God. And, and when you look at that verse, it gives you the idea of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. After God had pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve and on the serpent, God does something amazing. Not only does he make a promise in verse 15, but in verse 21, God himself kills an animal of some type 
and uses the skin of that animal to make garments for Adam and Eve to clothe their nakedness. And in this graphic scene of death, we see a wonderful illustration given to us of the coming Lamb of God and what he was to do. We see in Genesis 20 a picture of sacrifice. Imagine the, the terror and the horror that must have filled the hearts of Adam and Eve who had never witnessed death, who had never seen blood, and seeing an animal being slaughtered by God. Imagine what could have gone through their minds. They had never seen blood before. And now they watch God with his own hands. He kills this animal and removes the skin of the animal and makes garments for them. In that instance, they must have understood something of what God had said. The day you eat of the tree of the, goo, of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. They must have understood something of what the scripture says. For the wages of sin is death. In that moment, they must have realized the cost of their actions and the consequences of their actions. And now God gives them this picture that the seed of the woman will sacrifice his own life in order to atone for your sin. It's a picture of sacrifice. But also see that it's a picture of sufficiency. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and they became aware of their sins, they, they, they got fig leaves to try and uh, cover their nakedness. And that was not adequate to cover their nakedness before God. They attempted to do things in their own efforts and yet they failed. All those works were inadequate before God. And God killed an innocent animal to provide a covering for Adam and his wife Eve. And God wanted them to see from the onset that the works of the flesh can never atone for sin. Human works cannot cover sin from God. It requires the death of an innocent person, an innocent being in their place to cover for their sins. And the efforts of Adam and Eve gives us this picture of the hopelessness of human efforts. It doesn't matter how much you try. 
In your own efforts, you will never do works that will cause you to be presentable before God. Your own efforts, as the scriptures tell us, are filthy rags in the sight of God. The very best you can do, however good or best you do them, will not make you to be acceptable before God. Because your efforts are dented with sin. Yet, right from our forefathers, in Genesis 3, we see this picture, this example rather, continuing throughout the history of human beings. As Adam and Eve tried to to work out their uh, salvation, to work out their acceptance before God, human beings continue to do so. Hiding in the garments of religion. Hiding in the garments of good works. Hiding in the garments of living a good life. A morally upright life. And yet they forget that all these can never atone for your sins. All these efforts cannot change that stubborn heart of yours. All these efforts cannot transform your heart to bring that stubborn heart to bow before the almighty God. All these efforts are simply a cover for what you really are at the core of your heart. A stubborn, rebellious sinner who hates God with every fiber of their being. Yet we see in the amazing acts of God showing us that the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God, would sacrifice himself and his sacrifice would be sufficient to atone for the sins of the world. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he satisfied the demands of a righteous God. And when a person comes to Christ in faith and in repentance, believing in the finished work of Christ, that individual is clothed in the righteous garments of Christ and he stands presentable before the Almighty God. And every work that is done by such a person are acceptable before God because they are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Only then will God accept you before his presence if you come to him in Christ. Walk with me down 2,000 years ago and see the Lamb of God nailed to the cross. See his oppressors as they spit in his face. Watch them as they pull the beards off his cheeks. Listen as they mock him, curse him, and as they scorn him. 
Watch as the very people he came to save delivered him up to be crucified. And can you hear the sound of the harsh whips as they fall again and again and again on his back? Can you feel the agony as the nails go through his hands and his legs? And as I pull that cross and lift him up, can you imagine with me as his blood pours from his head, from his head, his hands, and his feet, as it floods the ground? Can you imagine that all this was to show that he loves you and he came to die for your sins? All the trials and the harsh treatment, the temptations he went through, everything he suffered, the disgrace he went through, everything he endured was to show the world that he loves you and he came to die for your sin. And if you put your hope and trust in him, you will be saved. He knew no sin. Yet he went through all that so that you can become the righteousness of God. And as we begin to focus our minds on Easter, this is what we must be reminded of. The Son of God who knew no sin took my place and died for a wretched sinner as me. And because of his death, I'm counted as a righteous of God. I'm counted as righteous in the presence of God. And every day, by the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in me, I'm reminded that I'm His and He is mine. Remind yourself where you would have been if God had not saved you from your sins. And once you remind yourself, now convince yourself that if this God saved me from my sin, he can save any person from their sins. And my task is to take the message to the world and let them see 
that Jesus saves. Let us point them during this period we are going to Easter period. Let's point them to the cross which is God's billboard, God's sign screaming to the world He loved us. He died for the world. Screaming his hatred for sin, but also screaming his amazing love for sinners. And once we are convinced that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, we will not shy away to share it because we ourselves are proof that God saves sinners. Oh, let these words encourage us to live godly lives and to proclaim Christ's love for the world. And for you who are still living in sin, Jesus cannot and will never be defeated. He's already defeated the, the, the evil one. And the time is coming when he will wrap up history. And if that day comes and you'll still be wallowing in sin, you'll be ushered in the lake of fire together with the evil one where you'll be for eternity. Now is the time to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen.